This podcast is brought to you by Simon Mainwaring, New York Times bestselling author and CEO of We First, a brand consultancy that works with top entrepreneurs and companies like Tom's, Virgin, and Timberland to bring their personal and company purpose to life in ways that drive business growth. He's also the inspiration behind the new, life-changing courses entitled How to Find Success Through Purpose and How to Accelerate Business Growth Through Purpose. Please listen to podcast number 679, where Simon shares actionable insights from top entrepreneurs and business leaders about how to define your personal and company purpose to unlock the success you deserve in life. Personal purpose is so important to your health and career. While company purpose is a key driver of business growth today as it empowers your brand to become a movement. If you're looking to create more clarity, success, and fulfillment in your life, and to accelerate your company's growth, then you're going to want to listen to podcast number 679 with Simon Mainwaring about defining and activating your purpose. Check out Simon's courses at www.wefirstworks.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. And Lance, as I do all the time, I thank the listeners. Um, you know, as this audience continues to expand uh, through iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and all the people that are listening from around the world, I thank you, thank you. And I have a returning author, guest, and a very good friend uh, joining me from Toronto. It's Lance Secretan. Um, Lance is the author of 22 books, and this particular book is called The Bellwether Effect, Stop Following, Start Inspiring. Lance, good day to you. How are you doing? Great, Greg. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we appreciate having you on, and for my listeners, you can learn more about Lance and his prolific works at www.secretan.com. But I do want to let our listeners know, Lance, about you, because you've had a very interesting journey, and you're also a prolific speaker. Lance is a PhD, is a pioneering philosopher, leadership coach, consultant, and mentor whose best-selling books and inspirational talks and life-changing retreats have touched the hearts and minds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide. He's the author of 22 books. This one says 21, but... Uh, about inspiration, corporate culture, and leadership. Lance is a riveting speaker and is acknowledged globally as one of the most uh, insightful and original leadership teachers. Uh, A former CEO of a Fortune 100 company, university professor, award-winning columnist, author, and outdoor athlete. He's received numerous teachings, writings, and humanitarian awards, including the International Caring Award, and he's the chairman of the Pay It Forward Foundation. Uh, He's an expert skier, kayaker, and mountain biker, and divides his time between Ontario, Canada, and Colorado. And I can say he's a great biker. I've been up to his place in Ontario and really, really enjoy uh, where Lance's lifestyle and also how Lance um, treats the people that come to his uh, conferences, of which I've been to those as well. The first one was in Santa Fe in New Mexico, where I saw him speak. I can't tell you how many years ago that was. But uh, for any of you who have had the opportunity to see Lance speak, you're definitely going to want to get the bellwether effect. Now, Lance, 
And we were talking earlier before we got on the podcast. And I love how you started the book. You started off with this quote from Buddha. Believe nothing, no matter where you read it or who said it, no matter if I have said it, unless it agrees with your own reason and your own common sense. So speaking of the bellwether effect, why is that quote so important that it takes front and center and it's lying right up front in the context of this new book? That's a great question. Well, the reason why is because when I ask an audience and I'm making a speech, how many, this question, how many people would give up their careers if they had a free choice? And I start off by saying, do you think it's 50%? And immediately somebody will say, no, it's 60%. And then somebody will say, no, it's 70%. Somebody else will say, it's 80%. And that, Greg, is where we always end up. Every speech I make, I was asked this question, that's where we end up, 80%. So think about this. We spend $170 billion a year on leadership development. We have 200,000 books on leadership on Amazon.com, and we're pumping out tens of thousands of new books about leadership every day. We have university courses all over the world teaching leadership and MBA programs and so on, and we have got 80% of the population not wanting to go to work. So we have clearly messed it up. So now if we follow Buddha's quote, and actually listen to what we feel, we probably would change things. So the book really is about the eight things that should be changed and an invitation to the reader to push back on these things and change them because that would be the beginning step of creating an inspiring organization. Well, I love the fact that you started off with that quote. And, and most importantly, Lance, that quote is something that sets the tone for the book, but it also sets the tone for the reader to say, you know, question everything you read. <laughs> and in in the Bellwether Effect, you've identified eight counterproductive business processes and their anecdotes. The first one is dissonance. You state that there's been, a, that it have been puzzled by the processes by which companies and their leaders adopt business practices when most of them are what you call best before date. That's when, you know, food goes bad. Okay. Right. What would you say to the leaders listening to this podcast about changing this outdated, outmoded process that they've, you know, that's been created? You know, it's uh, like, what's the, the statement? Keep doing the same thing and expect different results is the definition of insanity. Right. Well, you know, the, the, let's, let's use the example of the performance review, which is one of the eight. So I track in the book a little bit about where did this come from? How, who invented this? And how did it get copied and then replicated millions and millions and millions of times? Because basically 80% of all companies today have a performance review system in process. But if you ask anybody, they will say they hate them. The people that do it don't want to do it. The people that have it done to them don't enjoy the experience. And actually, there's a very interesting piece of data on this. 80% uh, of people who have performance reviews think that they are in the top 20% of performers. Now, if you do the math on this, that means that 60% of people who have had a performance review are pissed off because they get a bad one or one that's less than they think they deserve. 
So why do we keep doing this? Because it's universally agreed that we don't like it. And not only that, but there's tons of data in the book that research that shows they don't work either. And actually, some of the best performers have the lowest performance reviews. So the whole thing is a mess. So why do we do this? And one of the tests I have, Greg, is what I call the would you do this with your spouse test. So it goes like this. Um, Hi, honey, we're going to sit down and have a little conversation. It's called a performance review. Uh, we're going to talk about some of your uh, key performance indicators, your budget. We'll do a 360 to see how your colleagues feel about you. I mean, you wouldn't get three of those words out of your mouth if you did this with your spouse. So if that's the case, why would you do it at work? And the reason we do, don't want to do it is because it's demeaning, demoralizing, dispiriting, and makes people feel horrible. Well, you don't want to do that to your spouse. Why would you do it to a fellow worker? Right. It's so true. And yet the process, as you use, this is a great example, has been going on for years. I do see some organizations doing different techniques in them. Uh, my, my son who used to work at Adobe, they in, implemented another program. But I think here is one of the main points in the book. You have several, but I want to point this one out. You speak about fear and love and that yes. the most modern organizations rule by fear. And I don't know how long I've been talking about this. I'm 64 uh, now and I can go back 30 years and I was talking about right. the same thing. How do they create this environment. Um, I remember Herb Kelleher was one of your examples, you know, Southwest mm -hmm. Airlines. We have love this organization, right? Uh, okay. And compassion and support. Now, Kelleher used to walk through the aisles and give out candy and talk to people and used to do all of those things. So what are some of the secrets that you've seen of these most upstanding organizations who've been able in, in larger organizations or even mid-sized organizations to create this environment where there's support, love, and compassion? Well, one of the mysteries uh, of all of this is that we are so traumatized and in so much in a rut with the bellwether effect, the bellwether effect being the adoption of these practices without really thinking about them, that we we are stuck in a place where we can't change. So you talk about Herb Kelleher at Southwest Airlines, but think about this. This is an airline that's never lost money, even through the, uh, uh, the oil crisis, even through the recession, even through all kinds of ups and downs. And every other airline pretty well in the business, all the legacy airlines, they've gone bankrupt, they've merged, they've, never, they've lost money for years and years and years. So if you were, for instance, the CEO of, say, American Airlines or United Airlines. Don't you think you'd look at Southwest Airlines and say, hmm, they're doing something interesting over there. Perhaps we should copy their model instead of following ours. But no, they don't do that, and they go bankrupt. So there's something built in, isn't there, in our genetics uh, that forces us not to change. And that's the last chapter in the book, because basically I know people will read this stuff and then they'll get to the end and say, well, I have a nice idea, but I don't think we'll do that in my business. And then we get to the last chapter where it says, I know you think that. And that's going to hurt your business. So think carefully about this. We do need to change, but it's very hard. We are wired not to change. So uh, the statistic I also include the book in the book is about heart 
uh, attack patients who get the big stern lecture from the cardiologist about changing lifestyle. I've saved your life. Now you have to only change. Only one in seven. Only one in seven changes. It's a book called Immunity to Change, one of the best reads around from MIT. Yeah, yep, definitely. Right? <laughs> yeah, so we, if we can't even get them to do something different that would save their lives, not likely we'll get uh, them to get rid of the performance appraisal. So the argument needs to be very, very strong to convince them to do that. Well, and I'm glad you're willing to take this on because, you know, as we get more mature uh, and we cre- get more wisdom, um, we recognize that some of these what we call stuck states um, of consciousness need to be moved. And that's yeah. this chapter on from motivation to inspiration. And I love it because I've always been somebody who's uh, I, I actually have hardly ever used the word motivation. Um, I always use inspiration because it's from within. Um, yeah. it's, a, it's a spirit state. You state that leadership's broken everywhere. So right. what distinguishes you know, motivation from inspiration? Um, I think I know, but my listeners might not. Well, motivation is a means of motivating others. It's a means of manipulating behavior of others, uh, controlling their behavior, and causing outcomes that you're looking for. So we motivate sales teams to achieve their quotas. We, mot- we motivate uh, leaders to meet, meet their budgets or to close sales or to market or to achieve targets or to uh, open a new branch or uh, achieve a strategic plan. All of these things are motivational, and all leadership theory and human resource policy basically is underpinned by motivational theory. So you think about compensation plans, you know, if you do this, you'll get rewarded. If you don't do this, you'll get punished. Uh, If you want to achieve your bonus, then you have to accomplish this goal and so on. So this is just Pavlovian, right? It's the very, very basics of human fear-based motivation. Inspiration, on the other hand, is, as you said, comes from within. And it's not about me. It's about you. Anybody that you've had in your life that was a mentor or a coach or someone who inspired you, they didn't need anything from you. It was their gift to you. They wanted you to do well. And so the way I summarize this is that motivation is lighting a fire under someone and inspiration is lighting a fire within someone. And there's a big difference. We'll do anything for someone who inspires us. But motivation is a short-term effort and inspiration is a long-term effort. Yeah, and it is the inspirational, hopefully, leaders that, you know, take these roles. I, it's hard to point in this country at this time that we have an inspirational leader. Uh, mm-hmm. But the point is, is that leadership is a key area. And, you, and one of the things that you talk about is from separateness to oneness. Now, obviously, you're pushing the boundaries here in kind of an area of what you call quantum approach. And I would call it actually a spiritual approach to this. Um, how do we move from this classical approach to the quantum approach to leadership, which is falls on that last question because separateness and motivation go together. Oneness right. and inspiration go together. Uh, right. We're talking about creating a culture of oneness, of inspiration, which is the quantum approach, correct? Yes, but you see, most of these things are insanely obvious and simple, and separateness is a good example of that. 
much like the performance appraisal that I looked, I talked about earlier. But you know, if you've been in any organization at all, you will have bumped into departments competing with each other for funds, for budget approvals, uh, even for recognition, uh, and so on. And this contest that goes on internally is a waste of energy. So the result is we don't actually accomplish things at, at our full potential. We're short of that because we spend a lot of energy competing uh, with each other internally and we're still externally. So the whole idea of competition, for example, which is, of course, the ultimate expression of separateness, is futile. I don't think the leader of the San Diego Symphony gets up in the morning and says, ah, let's destroy the Los Angeles Symphony. It's ridiculous. It's a juvenile approach, and it's fear-based, and it's very unproductive, and it's demoralizing. People want to work in environments where we have one purpose, one dream, which I talk about in the book later, and that unites us with passion, and we don't fight, and we don't, we're not separate. Right, right. And, you know, on this line of, of creating this environment of oneness, what's happened as a result of these current uh, philosophies that are running inside these companies is you, you mentioned in the book that 30% of employees today are engaged, 52% are disengaged, and 18% are actively disengaged. Now, given the dismal numbers that you just said, you recommend moving from engagement to inspiration. What are the key attributes to helping people up-level their consciousness to become more inspired? And if you would, speak about the castle principles, which you've had in your work for years and years and years and years, and it was something that, that always inspired me. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I ditched the engagement survey. We've been doing it for 40 years. Uh, it's been wonderful for the companies that promote it, like Gallup and so on. Wonderful business builder for them. But we actually haven't changed anything. The data is exactly the same today as it used to be 40 years ago. And you know, if you look at the data you just quoted, basically, if this was a uh, rowing eight, then uh, four people would be doing all the work, uh, three people would be looking around at the scenery, and one person would be trying to sink the boat. Now, that's not something we we could uh, tolerate if you want to achieve excellence. So the castle principle is an alternative. So step one, ditch the engagement survey. It's a waste of money and irritating and demoralizing. And anyway, what are you going to do with it? Nobody takes any action based on it. So instead, introduce the castle principles, which is a concept we developed some years ago as a result of research where we asked followers, what do, you like, what do you not like about leaders? And they say, we don't like cowards. We don't like uh, phony people. Uh, we don't like people who are selfish. We don't like people who lie. People rule with fear, and we don't like idiots. So we said, well, okay, then really that points us to doing exactly the opposite. And the opposite is courage, authenticity, service, truthfulness, love, and effectiveness. Now, if we practice those principles, those castle principles, live those on a day-to-day basis, we will engage people. Because, and in any case, I use that word sparingly because I don't want to engage people. I want inspired people. It's another level up. I don't, if I was starting a company today and everybody was engaged, that's not enough. I need people to be on fire, to be passionate, to be inspired. That's another level. That's what we're after. So, in order to achieve that, I think if we are courageous, if we're authentic, if we serve others, if we tell the truth, if we're loving, and if we're effective, then we become people that people will follow anywhere. 
Yeah, so so important. And I think the inspiration element, which requires having inspired leaders. And I think the important element there is that they're those are people where we talk about emotional intelligence, but actually it's even more than that today. It's it's really about their level of consciousness, their ability to approach people uh, and work with them. And, you know, you talk about, you said a few minutes ago, the one dream process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how would an organization, for all those listeners and leaders out there listening to this podcast today, Create the dream versus this mission statement. Look, uh, most of these places I walk into, there's a mission statement on the board. There might be a purpose and a vision statement as well, but there isn't a dream statement. Um, There isn't a dream process, right? And when I think about a dream, I think about something that's um, so amorphous, right? It's out there, kind of hangs out there. What is this dream process and how do these organizations get engaged in doing that versus following the same old mission, vision, values, purpose? Right. Well, the mission, vision, values, purpose thing uh, has been around a long time. It's one of the bellwether effects. Uh, It's one of the things that people roll their eyes and say, oh, here we go again. And every two years, we get a consultant to come in and they revamp everything. And it's usually a statement that is the statement, the obvious, and of course, nobody actually follows them. So nobody gets up in the morning and says, oh, uh, let me look at all our values. Our values are integrity, honesty, uh, service, excellence, etc." And then, okay, I'm going to do that today. I mean, nobody does that. And if you've got the right level of inspiration, you'll do that anyway. I mean, think of your role as a parent or as a spouse. You Naturally, you're drawn to that, right? That's the way you live. You don't behave like an idiot all day long in those roles, or why would you do that at work? So the whole idea here is to ditch all that stuff. It's just engineering and replace it with something like the dream, which is an aspirational statement of how you'd like to touch the world, the way you want to make a difference in the world. So if I give you an example, you know, some of the clients we work with have just been so exciting to see this transformation. There are a couple of examples I mentioned in the book. One's Microsoft. Microsoft's mission statement used to be a PC on every desk. But you can see that's about me. How can I maximize all the stuff we sell, right? And then along comes Satya Nadella, the new CEO, and he has a whole different idea. And here's how he created the dream. His dream is to help every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. All about them, not about me. And it's about enhancing the lives of people. Or take Starbucks. Starbucks, you know, an old mission statement could have been something like to have the best coffee shops in the planet uh, or the highest customer service or something like that. But instead, their dream is to create the third place. That came from Howard Schultz, the CEO, former CEO, who in his early days at Starbucks noticed that most countries have a third place, home, work, and the cafe or the bistro or the pub, depending on which country you're in. But in America, there was nothing like that. So he wanted to create the third place. So the real purpose, the real dream of Starbucks is to create the third place. Why do they get up in the morning? They're creating a third place. And you know they've done that. That's where more resumes get reviewed. That's where more job interviews, essays get written, homework assignments get done, friends meet up, dates are made. That's the third place. 
So, so true. And I think that what it does is it encourages the leaders who are listening to, I don't even like to use the term think out of the box. I think this is really around creativity. It's around incubating new ideas. It's about inclusion. And that leads me to this last question for you. You know, um, what advice would you give the leaders who are listening today about transforming their workplaces into a place that embraces, and I'm going to say this, the individual soul's inclusion in the workplace and creates more of an open and loving place to work? Well, one of the things we do a lot of in business is we communicate and make decisions in ways that do not honor people. So if we want to change things, we talked earlier about inspirations. We need to understand, first of all, the difference between motivation and inspiration. And by the way, I don't want to give the impression that motivation is bad. I just want to say it's different. There are times when we want to motivate. If a building catches fire, I'm going to motivate you to get out of there. So there are times where motivation is appropriate, but we only know motivation. What we need to learn now as much about is inspiration. But it goes further. Once we've got that, now we need to actually practice it. And so the question now becomes, is it inspiring? So I send an email to someone. Will it be inspiring for them? I leave a voicemail for someone. Will this inspire them? I'm talking at a meeting. Am I being inspiring right now? I'm making a decision. Will this be inspiring? I'm about to close a department. How do I do this in a way that inspires people? I'm about to cut a budget or cut a person out of the budget. How do I do that in a way that's inspiring? How do I deal with everyone that I talk to in a way that makes them feel larger and better, not smaller and worse? So that's how we change the culture. It's it's very simple, but it's not easy. And as you know, simple and easy are not the same thing. So it takes effort and time to be inspiring all of the time. Well, Lance, this is certainly a book for every leader in every organization to read and then obviously to pick up the phone and or send you an email uh, about questions they might have or read some of the white papers or some of the other books that you've done if they need to or the research work that was put into this work, into this book. And uh, for my listeners out there, uh, we've been on with um, PhD, Dr. Lance Secretan, and it's the book is called The Bellwether Effect, Stop Following, Start Inspiring. You can reach out to him at www.secretan.com. That is the website that uh, Lance has. Lance, are the other places that you'd like to send our listeners currently today to find out more information? There's a fun thing that people might like to do. If you go to secretan.com forward slash bellwether, it'll Mm -hmm. pop up a a little quiz. And you can take the quiz and see where you stand on the bellwether effect. So it scores you uh, out of 100. And uh, it'll give you an instant score. It's free. And uh, it can tell right away whether your company is uh, where it positions itself in terms of the bellwether effect. A low score, of course, is not good, and a high score is excellent. Well, and if you get a low score, uh, certainly reach out to Lance. He's available there through the website. Uh, Tricia, his uh, assistant, can help you as well. Um, 
So I'd encourage everybody to go to Amazon, pick up a book, The Bellwether Effect, Stop Following, Start Inspiring by Lance Secretan. Um, go up to his website. And Lance, it's been an honor again having you on with me uh, for this short time, but obviously an opportunity just to expose some new concepts to people and some of our listeners and our leaders with inside these companies. Thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth. Always good to be with you, Greg. Thank you.